When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, brought to you by Killer Podcasts, an evergreen podcasts network. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. Hello, Caroline. Hi. You're up to bat this week and um, it's something about toxic work environments or... No. I saw saw something uh, something in the podcast memos here. Do you feel attacked at work? Uh, What is this about a toxic... A toxic lady that's been bothering you. Uh, not bothering me. It's it's a story of someone who has been called in the press and online the toxic lady, and it's a medical mystery. We love medical mysteries, Carrie. Mm-hmm. You in the past have specifically loved in- exploring medical mysteries on the show. Yeah, I never knew that was like a thing of mine, but apparently it is. I'm still not putting on those leather scrubs you bought me. <laughs> leather. <laughs> Pleather. Well, Sean, let's let's go to the story. Let's begin our story at a strange ending. On the night of February nineteenth, nineteen ninety four, nearly thirty years ago now, a young woman named Gloria Ramirez was brought in by paramedics to Riverside General Hospital in Riverside, California, after suffering from severe heart palpitations. She was immediately brought to the emergency department and at this point was only answering questions with confused and short responses and readings indicated she was dealing with tachycardia where the heart rate exceeds the normal resting rate. So things are not looking good. Okay. Gloria was also breathing abnormally in a pattern known as chain stokes respiration And on top of all of this, she had just been diagnosed with cervical cancer at the end of 1993, just before her 31st birthday. Oh. Yeah. The same month that she was admitted to Riverside for these strange symptoms, she had been told that the cancer was spreading to other parts of her body. And though it was not believed to be fatal, Gloria did not have health insurance, meaning it would be an arduous fight against the illness. You said this is the end of the story? Mm Mm-hmm. On that fateful February night, Gloria's heart was beating so rapidly that its chambers weren't able to fill with blood before pumping, causing her blood pressure to plummet. She was soon injected with a variety of drugs typical for treating her symptoms, Valium, Versed, and Ativan to uh, sedate, Lidocaine and Bertillium to try and calm her heartbeat. Um, They were kind of going through all of the typical responses. A lot of drugs. Yeah. She's not looking good. Maureen Welch, a respiratory therapist working in the trauma room that evening, worked to force air into Ramirez's lungs with an ambu bag, which is kind of a similar item to those oxygen masks you see on airplanes. And it was used in this instance as a sanitary and continuous alternative to CPR. So it's just kind of pumping the air in. Welch noted later, quote, most patients who show up in an emergency room with these symptoms are elderly people. Gloria was not responding well to these treatments, and so defibrillation was utilized to try and stabilize her arrhythmia. When Gloria's clothing was removed to attach the electrodes to her chest, several people working on her noticed that there was an oily sheen covering her body. And they would later recall smelling a fruity, garlicky odor that was assumed to be coming from her mouth. Oh, is this going to be a UFO story? No, it's not. I mean, that could be the answer here, but I don't think so. Always could be the answer. (laughs) Nurse Susan Kane drew blood from Gloria's arm, and as her syringe filled, Kane caught a strange chemical uh, smell emanating from the blood, almost like ammonia. 
which blood should not smell like, obviously. Yes, I had gathered. I had gathered. Susan handed the syringe to Welch and leaned over Gloria to try and trace the source of the scent. As she tried to figure out the strange situation, Welch also took a whiff of the syringe when Susan was like, hey, this smells weird. Quote, I thought it would smell like chemotherapy, the way blood smells putrid when people are taking some of those drugs. Instead, it smelled like ammonia. Welch then passed the syringe to medical resident Julie Gerchinski, who noted odd manila-colored particles floating in the drawn blood. Dr. Humberto Ochoa, who was in charge of the emergency room that evening, also spotted the particles. So, she's full of folders. She ate a bunch of folders? (laughs) That's the thing. They they keep saying manila-colored, so I had to put that in there. It's like every report. These particles are manila. I guess there's not another word for that beige yeah they're beige right (laughs) i don't know as everyone was sniffing and scratching their heads over the strange blood nurse kane fainted dr ochoa caught her and she was put on a gurney and taken from trauma one which was the room they were in when she regained consciousness kane stated that her face was burning gurchinsky then spoke up and said she was feeling ill as well and slumped into a nurse's desk outside of the room, lightheaded and queasy. Doctor, this woman is toxic. <laughs> Just as a staff member asked if she was all right, Gurchinsky passed out. So this is the second member of Trauma One to be taken away on a gurney after going unconscious. Yeah, so if you're anyone else in this room, you are... So you're seeing this happen, you're like, what is happening? Uh-oh. As she was transported, Gerchinsky shook intermittently and would periodically stop breathing for a few seconds, which is known as apnea. Then back in trauma one, Welch herself fainted. And when she woke up, she could not control the movements of her limbs. Which doesn't seem good. So we're up to three. After this, several other staff members began to mention that they were feeling ill and responding to the obvious issue here, an internal emergency was declared by hospital administrators. Dr. Ochoa ordered all emergency room patients to be evacuated from the hospital to the parking lot, with only a skeleton crew of staff remaining to try and save Gloria Ramirez's life, because this is all happening while they're desperately trying to keep this woman alive. Right, someone's got to be like Calamity Jane on Deadwood and just brave it out in the sick tent. Pretty much. Unfortunately, it was to no avail. Gloria's blood pressure kept dropping, her pulse kept weakening, and though electric shocks and drugs were repeatedly administered to Ramirez, she never stabilized. Gloria Ramirez was pronounced dead at 8.50 p.m., less than an hour after she arrived at the hospital, and her body was moved to an isolation room. The strange evening was not over for those at Riverside General Hospital, however. In the parking lot, staff members were being treated for their symptoms after assisting with Gloria's case. Gerchinski continued to experience tremors and apnea. Kane flailed and kicked and complained that her face was burning. Sally Balderas, a vocational nurse who had helped transport Ramirez's body to the isolation room, began to throw up and also felt a burning sensation on her skin. And she would be the fourth staff member of Riverside to become a patient that evening. Were these all symptoms that uh, Maria had had? Gloria? That's right. Gloria had had? Well, we don't know exactly because she wasn't super coherent when she was admitted to the hospital. She certainly had heart palpitations and was not feeling well. Um, but there were there was a whole host of symptoms experienced. And by the end of the evening, 23 of the 27 emergency staff present that night reported experiencing at least one symptom. Oh, no. I mean, how many of them were seriously ill? Five were hospitalized for the rest of the night. Balderas was in the hospital for 10 days, and Gerchinski, the most severely ill, would spend two weeks in intensive care. Two weeks? Yeah, and she had a range of issues pop up that she didn't have before, uh, on top of the apnea, including hepatitis, pancreatitis, and a vascular necrosis, which is a condition in which bone tissue is starved of blood and begins to die. And she had to use crutches to walk for the next several months because of this. 
And this all came out of nowhere. These were not pre-existing conditions. So did this woman give everyone some kind of a viral infection? Well. Airborne something. Right. Fungus like in The Last of Us. Oh, gosh. Well, we, we've here we've reached the end of Gloria Ramirez's tragic story. And um, this is a story that hit me particularly hard because I'm a 31-year-old woman myself with some medical concerns. Uh, and it's a double-edged sword. She remains in the public consciousness because of her case, and she has been dubbed the toxic lady online and by the press. But perhaps it is a good thing that she is remembered, even as an oddity. It's been 30 years, but we're still trying to solve the mystery of her suffering. So we're trying to figure out, just as you said, what caused this. We're going to pick up the threads of this bizarre tale and um, figure out why this is still an enigma even today. And main sources for this episode include a great article from 1995 in Discover Magazine, Analysis of a Toxic Death by Richard Stone, as well as some contemporary articles in the New York Times, the LA Times, and other publications. Analysis of a toxic death is one of the lesser sort of late Sherlock Holmes stories. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also like a system of a down record. Oh, it's one of their better ones. I think. <laughs> so at around 11 p.m. the night of February 19th, so this is still the same night, Gloria's body's still there, the Riverside County Hazardous Materials team arrived at the hospital to find the cause of the unexplained situation. They expected to find some sort of, like, leak somewhere, you know, an obvious route, a toxic chemical, or some sort of poison. They searched for hydrogen sulfide, which is sewer gas. Uh, that could kill a person after just a whiff at high concentrations. And they looked for phosphine, which is used in the preparation of organic chemicals, but is also used as a weapon in chemical warfare. So these are the things that the symptoms are leading to. They're thinking it could be these crazy, like, chemical weapon type things. Right. And in, when was this? The 90s? 94. So then you're thinking, like, domestic terrorism, if it's a nerve Maybe. gas? Yeah. But these toxins, along with many others, were ruled out by the increasingly befuddled hazmat team, uh, who ended up finding no obvious source in the hospital that evening. And these are the professionals. Over at the Riverside Coroner's Office, pathologists were now facing the prospect of autopsying a body that may be toxic without having any clue as to what the cause was and how it was affecting others. Is it in the air? Are you touching it? What's happening? Yeah, this body seemed deadly uh, when she was still alive. So is it going to mm -hmm. be less or more so when she's a corpse? Right. The team donned airtight suits and performed the autopsy in a sealed examining room, emerging 90 minutes later with blood and tissue samples and air samples from the body bag and aluminum crate the body was held in. They couldn't find anything that obviously answered the question at hand. Why did Gloria Ramirez's blood, or its scent at least, cause such severe symptoms in those that treated her? And to a lesser extent, how did she die? So the pathology samples were sent to the Forensic Science Center at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California. Center Director Brian Andreessen told Discover Magazine what they planned to do. Quote, analyze the compounds, both organic and inorganic, in the blood, bile, and tissues from Ramirez's organs, including her heart, liver, lungs, brain, and kidneys. The team would also check for any gases that may have been vented off, uh, that may have vented off the samples into the headspace, which is a pocket of air separating the samples from the tops of their containers. So it's just another thing to test. Just another layer of, uh, of, of sample <laughs> of a sample uh andreessen himself suspected that this headspace air might be the key to isolating whatever noxious gas was at the root of this case which is what he thought and most people thought it was a gas because it smelled and people went faint and that's something that's typical with a airborne toxin yeah and they talked about it being chemical too so it's like it's an ammonia smell which is very chemical smelling yeah so it's like her blood was it's like her veins were full of gas well, maybe. They couldn't figure it out. But uh, when the team warmed the bile, 
um, sample to body temperature to pull out any gases still lurking in it, all that was found was nitrogen, oxygen, oxygen, carbon dioxide, and argon, which is... Mostly air. Yeah, the normal components of the air we breathe every day. Not even a small molecule showed up to possibly point the way to an answer. Andreessen and his team continued the tests, and these are even more in the weeds of scientific detail than the previous one we just went through. So like in our spontaneous human combustion episode, I'm going to try and boil down all of this science to understandable gists. I trust you, Carrie. I think we're in good hands here. I'll do my best. It's a lot of long words, but the samples were analyzed in a gas chromatograph mass spectrometer, uh, which essentially would reveal the mass spectrum of anything contained in the samples. So mass spectra are patterns unique to every substance. So it's like light waves. Each color of the rainbow has its own wavelength. So each substance has its own spectra. And you can identify it by finding what that spectra is. So by dividing the samples up into each individual spectra of each substance that's in it, Andreessen could see exactly what particles Ramirez had in her system. He found the drugs lidocaine, Tylenol, codeine, and Tigan or Tegan, which uh, was to be expected from her medical treatment. Totally normal. He also found hydrocarbons, which were chemicals that had leached into the samples from their sterile plastic containers. And this were just eliminated. So it's kind of like if you're doing a fingerprint sweep of a crime scene, you eliminate the prints of those working on the scene. Wow. So just being contained in a bag, hydrocarbons leak into human mm-hmm. f- well they're they're cells? yeah i mean they're measuring things on such tiny tiny amounts that you're going to pick that up because you're trying to find anything that could be like you're getting molecules here yeah it makes me want to really want to throw away that rayon hat i bought at a, <laughs> a convenience store though the one that says cock on it for no reason yeah let's move on <laughs> um So finally, in doing all of this, a few anomalies were finally found. An unidentified amine, I think it's amine, which is a derivative of ammonia, was detected in minuscule amounts and may have been the source of the ammonia-like smell noted by multiple staff in the ER. Well, sure, that makes sense, but it could have caused any of the symptoms. No. Uh, The National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health also found this amine in their investigation and theorized that it was the possible culprit for these symptoms. But Andreessen's team felt that it had formed naturally as Ramirez's body broke down the drug Tegan, which was in her system. And that was an anti-nausea medication. And he doesn't they didn't think that that in any like small amount could cause a bunch of people to pass out and have all these symptoms. Right. Just from it being in the air around them. Right. But that wasn't the only thing. Nicotinamide was also detected. And nicotinamide is a B vitamin crucial to human health, as explained by Discover Magazine. But on the flip side, as many chemicals have, it is also mixed into illegal drugs like methamphetamines because it's relatively inexpensive and can cause uh, euphoria in users in high quantities, I think. So it could be nothing. It could be B vitamins or it could be meth, maybe. Well, meth if it was cut with a bunch of B vitamins. Right. A third chemical signal also struck out, uh, stuck out to Andreessen, dimethyl sulfone, which is ma- manufactured as an industrial solvent, but is sometimes produced naturally in our bodies. Dimethyl cellphone? Sulfone. Oh. S-U-L-F-O-N-E. Okay, yeah. So dimethyl sulfone has a half-life in the body of less than three days, so it's usually not detected in measurable amounts in healthy bodies. Hello? However, Ramirez was not healthy, and her readings showed a strong concentration of the chemical in the blood and tissues. And it may have also been kind of stuck in her body because I think she had some sort of urinary tract infection at the time. She probably wasn't going to the bathroom very much, not flushing her system. And that may be very important to what happened to her. What, the UTI? 
the fact that she wasn't flushing her system and her kidneys were not working properly. Now, the finding of dimethyl sulfone, <laughs> sulfone was the one that Andreessen found most unusual, uh, but he also thought that by itself, dimethyl sulfone wouldn't cause multiple people in a room to pass out, which again is the focus here. What's causing all these people to pass out and get necrosis and hepatitis and be sick? When briefing the coroner's office on the findings, Andreessen couldn't give the pathologists a clear-cut answer as to what had happened the night Gloria Ramirez died. Um, she had certainly taken a lot of codeine and Tylenol, which could cause liver damage in large doses, um, but she was in pain. He mentioned the chemical findings that had intrigued him, and he felt that something unusual was clearly at play here, but there was no smoking gun. She had taken large amounts of codeine and Tylenol before she got there? Mm-hmm. She was definitely, we don't know, I mean, we don't know a ton from her perspective, but she was definitely dealing with a lot of pain related to her cancer and maybe her treatment. Um, so there would be no cut and dry answers on the coroner's report and death certificate. Ramirez's cause of death was officially pronounced as cardiac dysrhythmia triggered by kidney failure stemming from her cervical cancer. And the investigation into her passing was ended at that point by the coroner's office. However, that wouldn't be the last note in Ramirez's case, or else this would be a very short episode. And a sad one. Yeah. So we'll dive deeper into this truly singular medical mystery and explore some possible theories after the break. Oh, we love theories, Carrie. Well, We're here for the theories. It's getting scientific up in here. Hey, Scary Squad, Carrie here. As I've gotten older, I've struggled with issues relating to brain fog, concentration and focus, and most of all, fatigue and energy. Magic Mind reached out to us with their matcha-based energy shots, and I figured, well, I'll give it a try and see if it helps. See, Magic Mind is packed with nootropics, which are natural and synthetic supplements to help with cognitive function and all those unpleasant things I mentioned before. You just drink one of the energy shots along with your morning caffeine and boom, natural energy with no crash, thanks to ingredients like matcha and ashwagandha. I definitely notice a difference when I take some Magic Mind along with my little morning boost. I feel more energized, certainly more focused, and less compelled to crawl back into bed at 3 p.m. when my caffeine buzz burns out. So if you struggle with the same sorts of issues I do, I definitely recommend trying Magic Mind. And you can go check them out at magicmind.co slash ain't it scary. That's magicmind.co slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y. You can even use our discount code SCARYSC2020 to get up to 56% off your first subscription or 20% off your first one-time purchase. Use the code within the first 10 days of this episode dropping to get the most bang for your buck. Again, that code is SCARYSC2020. Thanks again, Magic Mind. Welcome back. When last we left you, poor Gloria Ramirez had just staggered into an emergency room. Um, with a with myriad symptoms, uh, mm -hmm. little ability to tell anyone what was going on, um, bunch of Tylenol and codeine in her system, mm -hmm. um, dies on the table, and everyone in the ER basically gets sick immediately. Mm -hmm. and, and her blood smelled like ammonia. Mm-hmm. And had weird particles in it, and there was, a, there was smells. It was all strange. Um. And Carrie, you promised some theories, so I'm hoping mm -hmm. I'm hoping you're going to shed a little bit more light on what's what's going on here. Is there <laughs> any kind of is there like an official answer? No. Wow. There's no consensus. Fascinating. Yeah. Does anyone just say she probably had a virus, like a novel virus that didn't make it past this next generation of hosts? Presumably, the symptoms and everything going on, it really just pointed to something airborne. Like a virus? No, but nothing's going to act that quickly. 
at least that I know of. I mean, seconds after taking her blood, people are getting sick and passing out. So I don't know. But the official cause of death investigation for Gloria Ramirez is now finished. But of course, uh, health officials were still understandably concerned that there was no real answer to the case. The county health department enlisted California's Department of Health and Human Services, who put top scientists and doctors Anna Maria Osorio and Kirsten Waller on the case. Osorio and Waller interviewed 34 hospital staff who had been present in the emergency room on February 19th, trying to establish some kind of pattern, any kind of pattern, besides, I interacted with this woman and then I passed out. Interestingly, those who developed severe symptoms, which, you know, loss of consciousness, apnea, spasms, they had a few things in common. It seemed that you were at high risk if you had been within two feet of Ramirez and or handling her IV lines, which goes without saying, people closest are going to get the worst symptoms. But it also appeared that those afflicted tended to be women rather than men. And those that had skipped dinner that evening had endured more severe symptoms than those who had a full stomach. Was she radioactive? I don't. I, I mean, I assume they tested her. There, nothing came up in terms of radioactivity. So the woman thing, the empty stomach, it must be some sort of correlation, right? Correlation's not causation. Um, <sighs> but it is a correlation. Well, not really, according to Osorio and Waller. Their official report, released on September 2nd of that year, came to the conclusion that hospital staff had likely experienced an outbreak of mass sociogenic illness, perhaps triggered by a strange odor. Mass hysteria? Yes, that's, the blunter term is mass hysteria. Folie uh, 27? Something like that. And we, we talked about hysterias back in the 40s, I think, of the podcast. We haven't been doing the podcast that long. <laughs> in the 40s of the episodes. Um, and then that's what they thought basically it was. Uh, they, there might have been a wave of mass hysteria sweeping through an ER full of overworked and overtired workers. In this conclusion, Osorio and Waller pointed to the lack of evidence for a poison or toxin in any of the scientific results, as well as, well, the fact that women suffered more of the severe symptoms. Oh, Jesus. Which apparently is a hallmark sign of hysteria. Uh, I mean, these are two female doctors. I hope that that has actual med medical basis, but I mean, it's such a stereotype. Further evidence included the fact that neither paramedic who treated Ramirez in the ambulance on the way to the hospital had become ill or exhibited symptoms, despite having touched her skin and some of her blood after starting an IV. So you would think, you know, it's kind of like um, an isolated incident, right? They didn't experience it, but everyone in the ER is kind of watching each other and passing out. And, you know, maybe it's hysteria and maybe they didn't know to be hysterical about it. Right. It wasn't completely ruled out that some substance had poisoned the ER staff, but according to Osorio and Waller, that wasn't the most likely solution. I mean, certainly something other than this woman could have poisoned them too. Perhaps. It seemed very linked to her presence and what they were doing to treat her. Yeah, but, but yeah. maybe it was someone's birthday and they all had the same cake too. You <laughs> maybe. Know. It all hit at the same time. Both the press and Riverside General Hospital workers had a field day with this report. Julie Gurchinsky, who you'll remember had the most severe reaction to whatever happened, protested the findings, denouncing the conclusion of mass hysteria. I mean, I don't know if you can hysteria yourself into necrosis, right? I mean, maybe passing out or feeling sick, but like hepatitis? Can you get hysterical hepatitis? Well, no, but hepatitis is something that developed down the line, right? It, it might not have been connected to this. No, incident. it was, she had it in the two weeks that she was in the intensive care. She had hepatitis, pancreatitis, necrosis, apnea, a lot of stuff that she didn't have before. Yeah, but she was the only one in the w ward that had any of that stuff, right? 
as severe as that yet, but there were several people that had apnea and arrhythmia and all different spasms, skin burning. There were 20 different symptoms noted. Yeah. Gurchinsky had also by this point filed suit against the Riverside General Hospital, the coroner's office, and others related to the case, seeking $6 million in damages. So a report stating that Gurchinsky was simply hysterical wasn't a great look for her, and I'm sure very frustrating considering her severe medical issues. That's also just insulting... Even if you weren't trying to get a lawsuit going. Well, as her lawyer, who is also a physician named Russell Cussman, told the New York Times, quote, these are all professional emergency room workers. They don't become they don't become hysterical because of a heart attack. So it's hard to find public record of the results of Gerchinsky's lawsuit. But I think I found an update from 1997, where a Riverside, California judge seems to have dismissed the suit, ruling that the hospital could not have foreseen or prevented the incident and was not grossly negligent. The judge added, quote, the fact, in fact, the plain truth is that circumstances surrounding the events may remain unknown. So. In fact, the plain truth is that podcasts may be do may be done about this uh, subject <laughs> in like thirty years. <laughs> in like thirty years. <laughs> now back to ninety four, Gurchinsky wasn't the only ER staffer upset by the state's report. Respiratory therapist Maureen Welch was convinced that neither that neither she nor anyone else she worked with that night had had a hysteria attack. Following the report, Welch got back in touch with Brian Anderson at the Forensic Science Center and implored him to take another look at the case. And Anderson was really still bothered by the inconclusive conclusions. Um, You know, he found some interesting stuff, but it didn't really lead to a definitive answer. So he was willing to give it another shot. And his deputy director, Pat Grant, re-reviewed the findings, along with materials that Welch collected and sent over, including news stories, the coroner's report, legal briefs, toxicology reports, all different stuff. According to Discover Magazine, quote, Grant was a bit hesitant. Um, I'm a nuclear chemist and my organic chemistry knowledge, truthfully, is minuscule, he says. Grant mistook dimethyl sulfone for dimethyl sulfoxide, or DMSO. Classic. This is a rookie blunder. <laughs> the only difference between the two chemicals is that DMSO has one oxygen one atom. One oxygen out of... Not two. Not two. <laughs> it's okay. Obviously. Everyone knows that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Grant was more familiar with DMSO because he says he'd used DMSO in a former life as an athlete. DMSO is sold in a gel form at hardware stores as a heavy-duty degreaser, and it has been long used as a folk remedy among athletes for achy muscles and joints. Ooh, and uh, among um, Billy Ray Cyrus for achy, breaky hearts. <laughs> achy, breaky joints, yes. Andreessen corrected him after he had mixed those up, saying the spike was uh, dimethyl sulfone, but... Um, Hello. There were still a lot of things in the file that Welch sent over that really kept bringing him back to DMSO. And one thing that particularly struck him was um, an, a specu- speculation by the pathologist's office in the autopsy report that the source of the garlicky odor and the oily sheen on Ramirez's body could be DMSO. So even they were like, well, maybe she was using this as an anti-pain thing. Right. Uh, Does it work that way? Well, DMSO had a history in the mid-60s. It was was like a promising pain and anxiety drug. They were doing like a lot of tests on it. It was like a wonder drug. But it was suddenly canned after animal tests showed that prolonged exposure altered the lens of the eye. So obviously you don't want that. Yeah, wonder drugs are usually too good to be true. Yeah. So clinical trials were ceased, but the FDA later relaxed regulations, and in 1978, they approved a 50% solution of DMSO as a treatment for interstitial cystitis, a condition marked by painful urinary tract lesions that occurs predominantly in women. So just an interesting, you know, connection to, to her urinary tract infection situation. Yeah. It's it, There's like these weird threads that kind of tie together well and you emphasize primarily and uh, affects women there but unless it's 
super communicable. I don't, you know, yeah. I, I don't think that's what she gave to the ER staff. Right. In the time between the 60s and the 90s, DMSO had also become become known as a bit of a home remedy. Think like how people were glugging horse paste to prevent COVID, you know, sort of like that. It was used in this way for a variety of ailments like arthritis and muscular strains topically. And like ivermectin, which people were consuming for COVID reasons, if you're just getting it out of the hardware store and not as a specific prescription, it can be extremely dangerous since it's over-the-counter grease-cutting form is 99% pure, and they've only said 50% is, like, possibly okay. So I should stop eating horse paste. Got it. Yeah, and don't put degreaser all over your body. I know you love being dry, but... Yeah, I love being just bone dry. (laughs) So was Gloria Ramirez using topical DMSO as sort of a folk remedy for her suffering during, you know, having cancer and, and maybe any other infections that she had? Maybe she was spreading it over her body to ease pain. She didn't have health insurance, and I'm sure doing chemo or whatever she was doing at the time was hell, um, especially financially, if not medically. So, you know, anything, anything that could help, right? Now, even if DMSO had combined with oxygen to form dimethyl sulfone, which was found, it still wouldn't explain the symptoms experienced by the ER workers. No, but the cake they ate earlier that day. <laughs> I don't think there was any cake. I think that would have been the obvious thing to investigate. But Pat Grant kept digging and found that you can also create dimethyl sulfate when combining DMSO and oxygen, and it becomes a pretty horrific compound. Quote, Vapors of dimethyl sulfate kill cells in exposed tissues such as the eyes, mouth, and lungs. When absorbed into the body, dimethyl sulfate causes convulsions, delirium, paralysis, coma, and delayed damage to the kidneys, liver, and heart. In severe cases, the vapors kill. In killing cells, isn't that, couldn't you also call that necrosis? Yes, and she died of kidney failure, so she had kidney problems. This is specifically dimethyl sulfate in its air form, and it's it can cause a lot of these problems, convulsions, delirium. That's what people were experiencing. So what causes the reaction? The dimethyl sulfone just has to come into contact with pure oxygen, or can it just react with air this way? DMSO, so this possible topical degreaser, combined with a high amount of oxygen could create dimethyl sulfate, which is this killer vapor. But pure oxygen or just like the oxygen in the air reacting with this lotion you shouldn't have put on your skin? I think at least like an oxygen molecule. I don't know. It's scientific. It's combined with oxygen. I don't know. Also, if you put something on as a degreaser and you're described as having an oily sheen, it's safe to say it's not working, right? (laughs) Well, it seems promising, but there wasn't a ton of research available, and so they're they're kind of combing through anything they can find mention, mentioning dimethyl sulfate and DMSO and symptoms and all this stuff. And they find some possible answers in a classified 1987 document called the Reference Book on Chemical Warfare Information Wow! by the Department of Defense. Thank you, DOD. Mm-hmm. So in this classified document, yeah, it was reported it was reported that a 10-minute exposure to half a gram of dimethyl sulfate dispersed in a cubic meter of air, so again, airborne, can kill a person. 10 minutes. Half a gram. It hadn't been manufactured at this point for use in war yet, but it had been tested as a nerve gas, so they knew there were bad symptoms. The document also went on to list symptoms of dimethyl sulfate exposure and the similarities between the list and the experiences of the Riverside General Hospital staff were uncanny. Of the 20 types of symptoms reported by ER workers that evening, from fainting to convulsions to even the eventual hepatitis that Gerchinsky suffered from, only one, nausea and vomiting, was not 
a listed symptom of dimethyl sulfate exposure. Sure. And that one's also a symptom of like hangover. Sure. But 19 out of 20 symptoms line up. That's pretty damn close. Well, and the the one guy at least said that, that it could have feasibly been accidentally created in this room. Yeah. So eventually the Forensic Science Center team came up with two possible scenarios for how Ramirez had been exposed to all this DMSO that must have become dimethyl sulfate. So one option. Gloria had spread a cream on her skin that contained fencyclidine, which is known as PCB, PCP, or angel dust. Um, so she, she put this cream on her skin that was dissolved in a DMSO carrier base, which is apparently a common way to take the drug. So sometimes, um, like if you're putting an essential oil on your body, they'll sometimes say put it in a base like coconut oil. So you're not putting 100% tea tree oil on your skin. Sure, so it'll burn you or whatever. So, so, so I guess people are... are this is that, but using, for angel dust. Yeah, DMSO mixed with angel dust to, to put on their skin. Quote, according to an August report on the Riverside Instant by Tam Smallstig, a industrial hygienist with California's Department of Industrial Relations, the Riverside Coroner's Office had told the department without elaborating that Ramirez's body had indications consistent with fencyclidine use, PCP. This scenario would explain the presence of the nicotinamide that Anderson had found in Ramirez's blood and tissues way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, it had been mixed in with the PCP to extend it. That was that vitamin B that sometimes is cut in with meth. But if Ramirez had taken PCP, someone should have found some traces of PCP in her body. Right. That's what I was thinking when you mentioned meth before. I was like, well, that they didn't find meth in her system. Right. And no one had. So the Livermore team decided that this scenario was impossible. Do we, I mean, how long does PCP hang around in your system, I guess? I assume long enough that it would have shown up in tests. Um, and also, I mean, listen, it, to me, it's hard to believe that someone with advanced cancer would be taking PCP. But maybe I don't know. It just seems unlikely. In an end of or life, or doing meth, you know. In an end of life situation, I don't know. Who knows what I would be doing? But I mean, sh- it wasn't guaranteed that she would die if she got treatment. So, okay, option two: Gloria had used DMSO degreaser from the hardware store on herself to relieve pain related to her cancer, rubbing it on her skin topically. Now, would this have worked used topically, but it just had harmful side effects? I mean, as uh, Pat Grant said, he knew a lot of athletes that would use the hardware store DMSO as like a joint pain reliever, you know. So it would work. I mean, it probably worked to sort of numb the area. Maybe it got really deep in the muscle because it's very potent. Um, And if she was using it in this way, it would account for the oily sheen and the garlicky odor. When she collapsed on the day of February 19th, and likely from kidney failure related to her cancer, which again, kidney failure could be related to extensive use of DMSO, she had been given oxygen by paramedics on the way to the hospital in a mask. Oh. This could have caused oxygen molecules to flood her bloodstream. Like, that's a lot of oxygen coming at you, more than you usually breathe in. You're usually breathing in like 10 or 15% or something. Right. And thus, it could have combined with DMSO already in her system from using it topically to form high levels of dimethyl sulfate or sulfone. Um, So again, maybe that's why the paramedics didn't experience anything. They took her blood and did stuff before they gave her oxygen and that the oxygen caused this reaction, which is why it only was unleashed on the ER when they opened uh, her bloodstream. Further testing by the team indicated that in a series of chemical reactions, dimethyl sulfate may have then formed in her body um, when the DMSO and oxygen combined, and some may have vaporized in the blood taken from Ramirez. There might have been some sort of like temperature change from the blood inside the body, the blood outside the body. It vaporizes really quick into the air and then... Hence, the workers might be experiencing the effects of dimethyl sulfate in the air after it vaporizes. Well, and of course, as soon as then, as soon as you give her the oxygen mask, she's getting much sicker. And by the time she gets yes. to the hospital, she's dying from this chemical. Yes. So, 
It's vaporizing in the air. You open the bloodstream. It gets into the air. People are smelling it. People are smelling the syringe. Um, they're having thing. They're having issues. But especially in those experiencing symptoms, dimethyl sulfate would just break back down long before th- those people who were having problems and Ramirez herself could be tested. So it wouldn't leave a trace in any samples. The theory... <laughs> Had and still has a lot of skeptics. Okay. Okay, but what I'm going to need you to also tell me what they put up instead. Right. I'm pretty skeptical, says Hans Reich, uh, who is an organic chemist at the University of Wisconsin at Madison, or at least was in 1995. Hans Reich, isn't that a, a hard rock band? Well, it does sound like someone from Wolfenstein. Um, but Reich doubts that dimethyl sulfone would have split apart in the human body's relatively cool environment. Quote, I have used it as a solvent up to at least 300 degrees. Um, So he thinks that the temperature doesn't work, even if there's a temperature change from the inside of the body to the outside of the body. It would have been detectable. Well, not detectable, but it just would, the reaction wouldn't have happened. Basically, sulfone would not have become sulfate that vaporized in the air. Uh, Other scientists don't see a match between the symptoms of the hospital staff and some of the symptoms of industrial workers who have accidentally been exposed to dimethyl sulfate. Quote, that stuff is like tear gas, says Jack De La Torre, a physiologist and professor of neurosurgery at the University of New Mexico. When you're exposed to dimethyl sulfate vapors, the first thing that happens is it makes you start to cry. None of the hospital staff reported tearing or other eye irritation. Furthermore, many known effects of dimethyl sulfate usually take several hours to hit, and yet the fainting spells and other symptoms at the hospital began to occur minutes after supposed exposure. So it's kind of, you know, I mean, it it could have happened, you know, one in a million type of thing. But again, if you're flooding this compound, which is already in her body and has not been, if she's continuously using DMSO, and her body's not flushing because her liver is impacted, her kidneys are failing, she has a urinary tract infection. So she has all this buildup of this chemical inside of her from possible days or weeks of use. Mm -hmm. And then you flood it with an intense amount of oxygen multiple times, uh, both in the ambulance and in the ER. Who knows what kind of intense reaction that could cause. I mean, obviously, probably these physiologists and chemists, but, you know, it's not a a typical thing that happens. Yeah, and I don't know, and and that doctor that I'm about to argue with knows better (laughs) than me on this, honestly, but I wonder if maybe something that would irritate your eyes in one quantity might you know, might get under the eye, uh, under the eye's radar, if you will, in small enough quantities, but still make people sick. Although it happens so quickly. Sure. Do you, do they use uh, eye coverings in the ER ever in trauma rooms? In I know they have masks, but in ERs, I feel like they have those full face shields. Yeah. Especially I mean, now. nowadays. Yeah. I oh. wonder if maybe that's part of it. They had, you know, goggles on or whatever and it protected their eyes. I don't know didn't protect their noses and mouths but <laughs> yeah i don't I, I don't see the that as standard but i don't know yeah well anderson despite this skepticism stood by the team's conclusions quote i've gotten messages on my answering machine from chemists who say it's an impossible conclusion but most hadn't even read our report and some of them changed their minds after i explain our hypothesis well, also get a life what do you mean they've left you messages <laughs> Just write an email. It is true that no one has done experiments to show that dimethyl sulfate is produced when dimethyl sulfone breaks apart and recombines with the body's sulfates. Yet chemists have on several occasions discovered that seemingly impossible reactions turn out to be quite possible. And indeed, Grant's uh, chemical explanation for the Ramirez incident was evaluated by professional forensic scientists, chemists, and toxicologists past peer review and then accredited referee journal and was eventually published by Forensic Science International. It even seems to have gained some more acceptance as the years have gone by and has been used 
in forensic science textbooks, uh, even decades later, like The Fundamentals of Forensic Science in 2006. The authors of the book noted that while some weaknesses to this conclusion exist, Grant's scenario is the most scientific explanation to date, and that beyond this theory, no credible explanation has ever been offered for the strange case of Gloria Ramirez. And they're writing the book on forensics. Literally. Uh, That's the other thing I was going to say about the detractors of the theory. It's like, okay, but, but then what was it then? Right. Now, this theory... And, and a, a problem that people have. It does all depend on Ramirez using DMSO, and there is no evidence of that, either from her family or in the samples of like, we know this is DMSO degreaser cream or whatever that was on her body. So, and I mean, they had her body, right? So wouldn't they know? Hmm. Well, I'll get to that in a second. What do you mean? <laughs> Well, the Ramirez family publicly doubted any of the official findings and seemed to allege that something shady had happened the night of Gloria's death. Evidence had indeed been misplaced in the case. Some of Gloria's organs went missing, as well as the syringe, the the smoking gun that had been used to draw her blood in the ER. So that was never tested. Do you think they just like accidentally reused the syringe, like taping over an old Doctor Who at the BBC? (laughs) Other organs of hers were even cross-contaminated with fecal matter. During the funeral, Reverend Brian Taylor, speaking on behalf of the family, referred to that bizarre tragic incident in the hospital emergency room that took her life uh, and maintained that the hospital, quote, is likely to blame for the toxic fumes that took her life. So he, they're he, thinking that there's some sort of leak or malpractice, malfeasance, whatever, happening at the hospital. Eulogy seems like a weird place to put in the thing about likely to blame well, for the toxic fumes. Well, they're very upset. Um, and this is months after Gloria's death. They didn't get her body back for months. And the Ramirez family filed suit against Riverside, And it doesn't seem like the hospital handled that situation very well. They suggested that Ramirez had tried to kill herself by ingesting pesticides, and that affronted the family's Catholic faith. They they said that she would never kill herself. Where was the evidence for ingesting pesticides? I mean, some of the symptoms and chemicals, you know, there's tons of chemicals and pesticides. So some of the stuff that was found could be a pesticide, could be a thousand other things. You know? Why didn't the hospital say the horse, the, uh, I was going to say the horse paste thing. Why didn't they say the degreaser thing? Um, I don't think that had come back yet. This, this is about three months after. The county kept Ramirez's body for months, as I mentioned, at one point improperly storing it resulting in terrible decomposition. Uh, they couldn't have an open casket because of how the, ho- the body was stored. Um, and the, any results for tests that the family may have wanted done by an independent party would have been compromised because the body was so decomposed. Would they just not put her in the fridge? It just said at one point it was improperly stored, so I don't know what that means. What is this? The place that has Ted Williams' head? What's happening? She's missing organs. Some organs have feces. It's Something's going on. Eventually, Riverside County agreed to pay $350,000 to Gloria's family to settle the suit. In relation to this, another theory has emerged, uh, one that places blame on the hospital itself, but in a different way. New Times LA reported in 1997 that Riverside County was one of the largest methamphetamine manufacturing and distribution points in America, and that Riverside hospital workers had been smuggling out methylamine to sell to meth cookers. This report also alleged that Riverside hospital workers used IV bags to store this methylamine um, since the IV bags were sealed, safe to handle, and pretty inconspicuous to smuggle out. Okay, but she didn't have any methylamine in her system. Well, the story seemed to indicate some sort of tip or inside information, but the source was not identified. However, a theory was... An IV bag loaded with about-to-be-smuggled methylamine accidentally found its way into the ER and got plugged into Gloria Ramirez's arm. Because methylamine turns to gas quickly when exposed to oxygen, it would explain why no traces were found in the toxicology testing. It just evaporated. 
methylamine could be a culprit for most of the experienced symptoms and apparently does have an ammonia-like scent. But again, we're speculating here. We don't know where New Times LA, I mean, I'm sure they had some sort of source, you know, but that, a named source, but like, that's just another, maybe there was meth, you know? But the, the, the methylamine thing doesn't explain all the symptoms in the ER workers. I read that it could correspond to most of the symptoms. Even just in the air or something? I suppose so. So so we are at a crossroads. Was it a seemingly rare chemical reaction um, with things that Gloria might have been using in her body with oxygen, all this stuff that caused the symptoms to those treating Gloria Ramirez on February 19th, 1994? Was it a crooked hospital worker selling methylamine to meth cookers that accidentally want, let one of the tainted IV bags get away from them and started this whole mess? Or was it just a wild case of mass hysteria? Those are really like the three main thoughts. Um, and we may never know a concrete answer. It's almost 30 years down the line. We don't have a set answer. We have one in a textbook, but they even they admit that there are pieces missing. So, Sean, what do you think? Well, uh, you're saying ahead of time that I am not equipped to answer you. <laughs> um. <laughs> I like the first one. I, I, I just like the weirdness. I like the fr the freak chemical reaction. Um, and also, I think there might be more holes in the methylamine one. I think that's like a sexy... Mm -hmm. I mean, meth isn't sexy, but yeah, I get what you're saying. No, but it's like it turns it into a crime story. Right, yes. It's, uh, it's, it's shady. A, in the news sense, that, that's, that's pretty sexy. Yeah. Um, I mean, we love mass hysteria on the show, but I really don't think... In this situation, like a weird smell would make a bunch of hardened ER workers pass out. I don't buy that. And it doesn't that. cause necrosis. You can't freak yourself into necrosis. No, you just but, can't. No, but you can already have had a flesh-eating virus you didn't know about or something. <sighs> Maybe, but like on top of hepatitis and pancreatitis and all this other stuff. I mean, she's a doctor. She didn't know she had any symptoms of any of this stuff. The very high rate of... ER workers who got sick and the fact that the ones who were in contact with her got the most sick makes me feel like it wasn't a hysteria. Mm -hmm. Me too. Um, and again, the freak chemical reaction with oxygen is just more fun. Um, I don't know enough about methylamine to know. It's it, probably for the best. Yeah, it is probably <laughs> for the best. I don't know whether or not it's feasible that like, okay, how does it get into the yeah. air in the ER then? It's just when they open her vein, the methylamine in her blood vaporizes and makes all of them all of them sick. I don't buy that. The the theory really seems to originate from that news article, whereas at least with the forensic science sensors theory with the DMSO and everything, they have a whole like scientific paper and like write up about it. So yeah. Now, if other smart people say no, it has to be really hot for that reaction to work. There's and, definitely controversy over it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's he said he said at that point because I don't know what I really don't know which you know who's who's got the right uh, uh, facts there. Uh, my favorite theory here. Yeah, that uh, freaky degreaser oxygen reaction. I read something and, in in one of these articles, which is like... And I don't, just to be clear, I don't think she was taking meth with it. I think she no, was probably no, trying to... for pain. Yeah. I read something in one of these articles that, you know, in 90, 1994, that something like 40% of cancer patients had reported using some sort of home remedy for treatment. Listen, I mean, the family said that she didn't use it, she wouldn't have used it. I, I don't know. I, I We don't know enough about her. I wish we knew more about Gloria. Um, but could I see feeling desperate, learning that your cancer is advancing, you're unemployed, you have no insurance, you know, maybe maybe you're doing chemotherapy and it's it's costing every last cent you might have saved. She was obviously taking Tylenol and codeine for pain. I could see maybe using some sort of home remedy. Maybe she had a friend that was an athlete. It was like, oh, I use this on my muscles if you're, you know, your joints are hurting or whatever. You know, I, I could see it. And then it just makes so much sense with the, the flood of oxygen that you would get 
from being administered oxygen. Like I could see something like that causing a reaction that wouldn't normally be seen. And more to the point, we don't have anything else that doesn't feel super half-baked. So Yeah. So R.I.P. Uh, Gloria. And, um, you know, she lives on as this, this strange story, but at least, you know, we're talking about her and hopefully... Hopefully, we'll someday have an answer. Yeah, maybe someday I can be a medical mystery. Mm, I mean, I think it's best to not. Okay. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well... I don't even know what to call today's news roundup. Uh, it's some kind of sick collaboration between it's the end of the world as we know it, crying saucers, bizarre, bizarre. Listen, I know things are kind of uh, scary right now, and I don't want to harp on it. We talked scary enough without drowning in the dregs of some recent frightening headlines, but it would also be a bit absurd of me to try and pretend none of it is going on either. So among other things, here's a list of what's been going on the last couple weeks. A train transporting hazardous materials derailed in East Palestine, Ohio, igniting an inferno that lasted for days and prompting evacuations nearby. We've yet to see the longer-lasting effects of this horrific accident, but as it stands now, air quality levels in the area are well below safe, fish are being seen dead in the water, and residents still don't feel safe returning to their homes even after the evacuation order was lifted. And there's also news coming out that there have already been cover-ups in this situation. Tons of incredibly toxic chemicals. just Burning into the air, which is like possibly the worst thing that could happen. And blowing all across the state now. Following up the Chinese spy balloon saga, multiple unidentified objects have been shot down in U.S. airspace above the Yukon and Lake Huron. Something tells me it's not as fun as aliens. But even if it is aliens, we probably shouldn't shoot them down. I don't want to piss them off. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby told the press that the U.S. does not believe that the three unidentified objects, separate from the balloon, shot down over North America last weekend were from China or that they pose a national security threat. So, yay, I guess. Devastating earthquakes have struck Turkey and Syria, leaving up to 50,000 dead and tens of thousands more displaced from their homes. Quote, this is a crisis of colossal proportions, one of which that will be a litmus test for global generosity, solidarity, and diplomacy, said Martin Griffiths, the Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator for the UN, after visiting Syria and Turkey. And lastly, a shooting occurred at Michigan State University on February 13th, leaving three students dead and five students in critical condition at the time of this recording. The shooter, Anthony Dwayne McRae, 43, opened fire Monday evening on two parts of campus. He was later found dead from an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. Good riddance. Goodbye. McRae had no known ties to the university. Our thoughts are with the families of the victims, junior Ariel Anderson, sophomore Brian Fraser, and junior Alexandria Verner. So it may be a bit hypocritical for me to not want to dwell on the scary things in the news, considering, you know, what this show is. (laughs) Ain't it scary? Um, But what can I say? If you're listening, maybe you feel the same way. And I don't have a solution for any of this. I'm just one uh, girl from Connecticut. But at the very least, know that you're not alone. None of us are. Reach out to people if you need to talk, get help if you need something more. 
I think it's pretty normal for me to say that despite the freaky stuff that I surround myself with on a daily basis, crime stories, paranormal, historical events, lately it's just been a lot. It feels different researching something that happened decades ago or something like Jeff the Talking Mongoose versus real-time horrors and tragedies. But we're all in this together, and hopefully we'll realize that sooner rather than later. This is uh, this is why we do what we do, Carrie. Because it's when you look at today's headlines, you it's just nice to look around, look at yourself, and go, "Well, I'm not Tarar." Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is um, prevention. You know, those who uh, don't know history are doomed to repeat it, and that goes for all different kinds of things. Whether you're a medical quack or or you know a criminal or whatever. Um, there's prevention and and there's also you know some of it's fun like Jeff, um, but you know at the end of the day it's it's a distraction I guess and um, again we're all in this together so that's all I can say I guess okay I hope it gets better such a cheerful uh, news segment uh, no, I that's... mean again I I couldn't just you know talk about another. Shrek statue that got stolen when like the world's ending so well all right thank you listener for gazing (laughs) with us into the abyss I hope it gazes back and gives you a big old kiss that's it for this episode of ain't it scary with Sean and Carrie like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary and check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. You can call us and leave a message at our Google Voice number 203-666-5529. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll be forever grateful. We certainly will. And thank you, of course, to our beloved top-tier patrons already joining us over there on Patreon. Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, Christy Atchison, Ira, Kate Pope, Haley, and Aussie Sean Downs. Oh, okay. That you're you're improving every week. I'm settling into it, but uh, Sean, feel free to review that on the, <laughs> on the Discord, and I promise uh, the novelty will wear off soon, and I'll stop doing it. <laughs> See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel. Music is a verb. Ain't it scary? Has been brought to you by Killer Podcasts and is a production of Longboy Media. <laughs> on the morning of August first, nineteen sixty-six. Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.